I'd like to invite our church chair, Bob Diller, up to the stage, who is filling in and is going to share some words with us. Let's give everybody a hand. Let's give Bob a hand, everybody. Come on. surprised as I am. Uh, Pastor X and I had a, uh, a uh, text trail Thursday afternoon and it went something like this. Pastor X, I have COVID again. I just tested positive and I'm at the urgent care now. I'm trying to find a replacement preacher for Sunday. Not again. Is there anything I should be doing? No. I just need to find someone to preach. If not, there likely won't be a sermon. Well, we could always do more music. I could preach, but everyone start running for the exits. Well, maybe you can share your devotional from our last EP board meeting. Um, our small then then I went on to say our small group helped out at Alden back before the, the COVID, and uh, we took turns on the fifth Sunday of uh, if there was a fifth Sunday of the month we took turns uh, leading the service so those who were regular um, people doing the altar service could have a break and we would take turns doing a short message to the people so I told him I said I, I actually have a couple messages from our small group that might work he said awesome send them to me <laughs> he gets back to me and he said I like the sermon on miracles my comment was I'll give it a try <laughs> So you soon find out that I'm not a preacher, but I'm just more of an observer. So here we are in early July, and the baseball season is starting to get exciting as teams are deciding whether they will be buyers or sellers at the trade deadline the end of this month. Will they make a run for the playoffs, or will it be just another wait till next year? Start of football training camp is just a few short weeks away, and the season will begin before we know it. With that in mind, just a few days ago, I was thinking, what if the Cubs or Sox were to get into the playoffs this year and maybe even win a World Series? Or perhaps the Bears might win more than they lose. What if they got hot at the right time and made a run at the Super Bowl? Okay, maybe you're not a sports fan, but wouldn't it be great if we didn't get massive snowstorms this winter and the bitter cold temperatures if they never came? Better yet, what if you bought a $1 super lottery ticket and won the million dollar lottery? Most people would call, or some part of this, a miracle. But miracles happen every day. Why, in fact, the Cubs it did win the World Series in, 2000, in 2016. And in 1985, a mere 38 years ago, the Bears were the best team in football and won the Super Bowl. How about the winter 100 years ago, 21 and 22, when Chicago recorded a scant 9.8 inches of snow? Or 10 years later, in the winter of 31-32, when the warmest winter on record had an average of 31.7 degrees? Unfortunately, we started to head back toward those things. Finally, on March 20th, I think it was 2012, a couple from Redwood, Redbud, Illinois, town of about 3,700 people, about 50 miles south of St. Louis, 
won $656 million in the mega lottery. And they had to share it with five others. That's too bad. These all events all sound like miracles to me, and I think they do to almost everyone else. It seems we throw around the word miracle quite haphazardly these days. The movie Miracle on 34th Street. The Miracle Mile in Chicago. Who remembers Al Michaels' quote, Do you believe in miracles? When the U.S. hockey team beat the Russians in the 1980-1980 semifinal hockey game. I do. I know where I was that day. I was at the Chicago Stadium, and I was with Larry Anderson and our two boys, two of at least two of our boys, watching the Bulls play. The dictionary describes miracles as an extremely outstanding or in unusual event or accomplishment, and ex or B, an extraordinary event manifesting divine intervention in human affairs. Which of you, these definitions do you think apply to everything that I've mentioned so far? I think we could all agree that definition A would be correct. I'm guessing that each of us have experienced at least one miracle in our life. I know I have. It may not be epic. It may not be monumental. It might be something quite small. However, getting a good grade on a test you didn't study for or not getting a speeding ticket when you know darn well you were speeding, not that that ever happened to me, is not a miracle, that's just dumb luck. So while you take a minute to reflect on something personal that you consider a miracle in your life, I'm gonna take a page from Pastor X, who sometimes uses his personal experiences as an example, and give you an example of a miracle that happened to me some time ago. Back in 1961, when I was a senior in high school, my friend Steve and I were going to go visit Western Illinois University in Macomb. It's about 100 miles from Princeton. And we were about 11, we left school around 3 o'clock on a Friday. About 11 miles from town, we were involved in a head-on collision. The driver was coming up a hill in our lane and ran right into us, head-on. I looked over at Steve. He was pinned in the car. I got out. I stumbled to the side of the road and fell down. The next thing I remember was someone had placed a heavy blanket over me because it was cold. It was March 10th, and it was cold. And soon I heard someone say, standing right next to me, don't worry about him. He's dead. Let's go get the other guy. And so they walked over to get Steve out of the car. Sometime after that, I must have moaned or moved or did something. But they realized that I was still there. So they took us to the hospital in the ambulances, each in their own, went to a hospital in Princeton, Illinois, which is a small little hospital. Uh, it was Friday evening. My only apparent injury was a broken nose, and I had a lot of scars on, on my nose, black eyes and that sort of thing. Steve had two broken legs, a broken arm, and a broken jaw. So he was in worse shape than I was. Saturday morning, I went to the ER, or to the operating room, had my nose replaced. The doctor who did it had never seen me before. He took my senior picture, propped it up alongside my head in the operating room, and made this. <laughs> That's what I came out with. Everything was good. 
Saturday night I felt good. Sunday I felt good. Sunday night I started getting up, moving around a little bit. Sometime early Monday morning, my blood pressure spiked. It was crazy. My All the vital signs were just horrendous. So they took me into... Is this, so they took me into the operating room Monday morning. There were two, uh, two physicians and a surgeon. They, they did a, a major abdominal surgery and they found that I had a lacerated liver. And a lacerated liver is not very common. And what had happened was, I got that in the accident from a twist. It had coagulated and held together until I started getting up and doing more activity. The two doctors had no idea what to do, but the surgeon had seen this in Korea about 12 years before, and he knew what to do. So they put me back together, sent me back to my room. Three weeks later, I was out of the hospital. Three more weeks later, total six weeks, I was back in high school, and I graduated on time with my class. I consider that a miracle. Not sure. Not sure why God did that to me or for me. He must have had a reason. I still don't know. But here I am, what, 63 years later, 61 years later, and I'm still here. So that's a miracle. You guys might all have had some miracle of some kind, and probably not as dramatic and as epic as that. Um, so what about the miracles Jesus performed as recorded in the Bible? His definitions sound more like definition B, an extraordinary event manifesting divine intervention in human affairs. So let's take a look at Jesus's miracles and then talk about why Jesus performed them. Does anyone have an idea how many miracles Jesus performed? That's a lot. A lot, yes. <laughs> Anybody have a number? Okay. Well, together, all four Gospels record 37 miracles of Jesus. Traditionally, anyone who compiles a list of miracles agrees with this number, but they miss the most important miracle Jesus ever performed. And I'll get to that a little bit later. So for now, let's just agree that the number of miracles Jesus performed is 37. Can you recall some of these miracles? We all have our favorite miracles. For some, it would be the feeding of the 5,000, which is recorded in all four Gospels. John records it this way in chapter 6, verse 1 through 15. I'll get there. John 6, 1... John 6, 1 through 15. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw his miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. When Jesus went up on the mountainside, he sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where should we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked Fix only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each of you to have. 
Another of his disciples, Andrew, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place. And the men sat down and about 5,000 of them. Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed them to those who were seated as much as they wanted. And the same, and they did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Nothing will be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces. Uh, with the pieces and the, of the fish and the five barley that those who had eaten. How about, how about the miraculous catch of fish after the resurrection? This is recorded in John 21. I had this mark so it would be so easy. John 21, 4 through 11. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not recognize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did that, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Here's another good one. Turning water into wine. John 2 1 through 11. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus said to him, They have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My time has not come yet. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews in ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water so that they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw out some of that water and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so and the master of the banquet tasted the water been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants which draw the water knew. He then called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheap wine later. But you have saved the best until now. I have one more here. Remember the coin in the mouth of the fish? You don't? Well, here's Matthew's account. In chapter 7, verses 4. It wasn't windy in my house when I practiced this. 
chapter 4 of Matthew 24 through 27. After Jesus and his disciples arrived at Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax came to Peter and asked, Doesn't your teacher pay the tax? Yes, he does, he replied. When Peter came into the house, Jesus was the first to speak. What do you think, Simon, he asks? From whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes? From their own sons or from others? From others, Peter answered. Then the sons replied, Jesus, the sons are exempt. Jesus said to them, but so that you may not offend them, go to the lake and throw out your line. Take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and there you will find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my taxes and for yours. The healing of the official son, raising Lazarus from the dead, healing ten lepers, healing the crippled women, healing the crippled woman, raising the widow's son, walking on water. In verse 4, the calming of the storm was recorded. In verse 4, Mark 4, 35, it was recorded this way. That day, that when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind them, they took him along just as he was in, in the boat. Just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drowned? He got up and rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was calm again. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And the list goes on. Jesus didn't perform these miracles to show how powerful he was. He didn't go around bragging of his great abilities afterwards. He didn't get high fives or fist bumps. He didn't wander through the crowd accepting thank yous. No one gave him a plaque. There were no statues unveiled in public at a public celebration. He just did them. So why did Jesus perform all these miracles? Dr. Doug Brookman, a professor on New Testament exposition at Shepherd's Theological Seminary in Cary, North Carolina, has this to say about why did Jesus perform miracles. Dr. Brookman says, familiarity has dulled our amazement. We know about the water becoming wine, Christ striding on the waves, the blind soaking in new light, the wind obeying the command, and even Lazarus living again. Compared to the reaction of those who saw Jesus' miracles firsthand, our response is much more tepid. Some people back then followed, some snarled, some condemned, but no one ignored. To get to the reason why Jesus performed his miracles, we need to unearth the expectations of those who lived at that time. We know who Jesus claimed to be, the Messiah and God in sandals. 
But the people of ancient Israel had no New Testament to study. They only had the Old Testament and the teachings of rabbis and hope. Jesus strode into their midst with their hope, hope to be free of the oppression from distant Rome with a bold palm. The prophecies were fulfilled in him. The Messiah had come to draw people to the kingdom of God. While he had no magic wand that they could see, they could see him healing their friends and relatives. They could see the power of God moving through the hills. They'd read about the great powers of the, the great miracles of Moses and Joshua and Daniel and Elijah, but seeing them was another matter. Dr. Brookman goes on, the miracles, the miracles themselves were not always ways for Jesus to show off his power, especially since he had given up he had given up his former glory to come to earth and do the will of his father. Instead, the miracles vindicated his claim about himself and his teaching. Although he didn't need to perform any miracles and refused to perform them on demand, he did them so others might believe. With all the healings and weather control, however, it's easy to forget the greatest miracle. With all the healings and weather control, however, it's easy to forget the greatest miracle Jesus performed. Being dead and in the grave, Jesus took his life back and delivered confirmation of his kingship that no one could ignore. We all know that deep stuff didn't come from me. I just was able to look it up. So let's amend the number of miracles and add the resurrection as the greatest miracle to make a grand total of 38 of the number of miracles Jesus performed. I also believe that the one common thread of all these miracles are the love that Jesus had for everyone in his day and his love that Jesus had for people over 2,000 years ago is still available to each and every one of us here today. All we have to do is ask him to enter our hearts and we will have everlasting life. In John 14:6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We have the miracle of birth, of growth, of life. But perhaps the greatest miracle we have available to us today is the miracle of hope for everlasting life and salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. All we have to do is ask. Let's pray.